0: It's time to experience the Synergy Connection Show with your host, Lucy Forsting.
1: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Synergy Connection Show where we do connect the dots between our physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual lives. Um, If 2020 didn't teach us anything else, It taught us about the importance of being physically healthy and keeping our immune system very strong and our inflammation level low. And I've spoken to people in the past about if you're getting ready to go have a physical, um, please ask for what's called a C-reactive protein test that will give you the level of inflammation that's in your body and you want it below a one Um, You also need to ask for a D as in dog three test, and that is going to give you your immune system. And you want that number to actually be above 70. Uh, If those numbers are not where you want them to be, then I would highly recommend that you go to the Synergy Connection radio link, www.synergyconnectionradio.com and click on Boomers Forever Young. Uh, They have world-class products. I use them and they are one of the sponsors of the Synergy Connection Show. But one particular product um, that I'm highly encouraging people to look at as we're in 2021 and the virus is still with us is what's called gladiator barley. And it is harvested in Canada and it's harvested as a sprout. And what it does is it removes toxins from your body It rebuilds muscle and it does reduce inflammation. And just so you know, my inflammation level for the last three years has been a 0.3. So there's very little inflammation in my body and my immune system is at an 82. And I said, you wanted it above 70. So I'm not particularly concerned as to whether I come down with this virus or any other virus. Um, Common sense, obviously don't be in crowds you know, maybe without some protection, but check out their products. If you decide to order, Uh, if you use my name, L-U-C-Y in the promo code, you're going to get $5 off of each and every order. And um, so I think, you know, whatever we can do to personally become responsible for our own health and wellness, we should be doing. I have with me today, Laurel Clark, and um, she is a certified dreamologist and i've got to say that i have never heard of that particular certification but i think it is so cool that we can have somebody who is that knowledgeable to talk to us about our dreams Uh, she's the author of uh, books uh, and the book in particular was intuitive dreaming Uh, she has contributed to seven other books on dreams And she is a board member and past president and former board chair of the International Association for the Study of Dreams, past president of the School of Metaphysics, uh, graduate of the Institute for Studies and the College of Metaphysics. So um, I wanna welcome Laurel to the show. Uh, She's gonna tell you how you can be in touch with her uh, throughout the show so that if some of you have had troubling dreams or maybe dreams that just are very confusing, you may want to get back in touch with Laurel and have her help decipher what those dreams were really all about. So welcome to the show, Laurel. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. Um, Happy to have you. And and you're a first time guest Um, and you're located not in the Florida area. Where are you? I am in St. Louis, Missouri,
2: right in the heart of the United States, and you've had some interesting
1: weather recently.
2: <laughs> yes, we went from minus 0 which broke records to 70 degrees within probably 10 days. <laughs> so, it's been quite a, a roller coaster.
1: Oh. Today it's just rainy. Oh gosh. Um I you know, it just seems like the heartland which is, you know, part of St. Louis obviously, you know, but you get so many tornadoes and I remember one time I was there for a conference and they had 23 inches of snow and it was thundering and lightning and all of the snow came down and nobody could move any place. So, I mean, they literally gave us three rooms at the hotel we were at. So it is um, an area where you can have lots of yo-yo weathers, I guess.
2: Yes, that's true. I've actually lived all over the Midwest. Um, since I went to college in Michigan and most places I've lived have been kind of like that in Colorado it was like that and uh, St. Louis the weather I've been here since 2014 and every year has been quite a bit different so
1: and you have a lot of humidity in your summers too
2: yes yes (laughs) not quite as much as florida but yes quite a bit
1: quite a bit yeah at least you get seasons we don't really and truly get seasons down here very much uh the only way you know it's fall is there's certain trees that bloom that are kind of a rust color um but i remember when i first moved here 19 years ago you know i had to kind of think about you know okay what season am i in and even at christmas time it doesn't feel like christmas so Well, how did you ever decide to become a dreamologist? It's interesting, Lucy. My
2: education about dreams unfolded. I have always been aware of dreams and dreaming, and it seemed like my remembering of dreams um, slowed down and maybe even stopped when I... um, was in school as a child. And I believe it was when I was in college that I became aware again of dreams and dreaming, but I wasn't writing them down. And I was in a creative writing class at the University of Michigan. And one of my friends who was in the class wrote poetry that I thought was beautiful and kind of envied. And I asked her where she got the imagery from because the poetry that I wrote to me seemed much more wordy and kind of brainy. And she said it came from her dreams. So she's the one who taught me how to keep a journal by my bed to write down my dreams. And um, right around that time, I was also going to a therapist who worked with Gestalt Therapy And she worked with my dreams as a part of the therapy that we were doing, which I did not realize was not always the case. I thought all therapists were with dreams, but that's not true. And so I did some work with my dreams. And then I became a student at the School of Metaphysics and learned how to interpret those dreams and I have been keeping a dream journal ever since, so I've been keeping a dream journal since 1977, and both with my School of Metaphysics education and also the Institute for Dream Studies, which I also have a certification in, I decided that I wanted to be able to teach other people and help other people and counsel them on their dreams because they've been so valuable for me in my own life and my own self-growth.
1: You know, um, I, you know, as a therapist for over 30 years, um, I have often asked people, you know, if they remember their dreams and the majority of people don't, you know, they, they kind of indicate that they might wake up and there will be fragments that'll be there. And if they don't write them down, then they're gone. But I can't tell you the number of individuals that say they don't dream. And of course we know that everybody does and it's usually done in a theta level of sleep, isn't it? Actually, the current research
2: on dreams by people who study the brain and hook people up to electrodes, they used to believe that the only time we dreamed was during the rapid eye movement stage of sleep. Uh-huh. But the current research says that we actually dream in all stages of sleep. It's just that the kind of dreams we have are different depending upon the stage of sleep. So when we're just about to fall asleep or just about to wake up, those dreams oftentimes don't have a visual component, their voice messages, the ones that are in the REM state of sleep, those are the ones that people usually think of as a dream, the stories that have a plot, and action. However, whatever stage of sleep we're dreaming in and whatever kind of dreams we have, they all are valuable for our own awareness and understanding. And what you're saying about the dream journal is absolutely true, that if people don't write the dreams down, they're not going to remember them later in the day. Or if they do remember, they remember kind of a a skeleton of the dream, but not the whole dream. So keeping a dream journal is a fantastic way to begin to reawaken that connection between the dreaming mind and the waking mind.
1: So you wouldn't really, um, I mean, like, stop yourself from going to sleep because you got a message and you wanted to write it down, I guess. You would, how does that work, you know, as far as the journaling? Do you do it in the morning then?
2: I think it's valuable to write down the dreams whenever we're aware of them. So, for example, I have sometimes been falling asleep and then have a dream that seems really profound. And if I don't write it down right then, I'm not going to remember it in the morning. Or if I wake up in the middle of the night with a dream and don't write it down, I'm not going to remember it in the morning. So sometimes I feel like I'm too sleepy and I don't write it down. Other times, especially if it seems like a really important dream, I write it down and I don't like sit up and turn a light on. I actually sometimes write down the dreams with my eyes closed, which sometimes means I can't read it in the morning, but um, (laughs) usually I can. Uh Some people use a voice recorder. What I find though is if I, I have to wake up too much to speak. So for me, it works better to write it down.
1: Okay, that makes some sense. Um, I know, you know, personally, I do wake up a number of times throughout the night and I do go back to sleep pretty quickly, but um, I always look at the clock and uh, almost, I would say 90% of the time at least, the number on the clock will be something like, let's just give us an example. It might be 515, which adds up to an 11. So I have a lot of 11s and a lot of sevens that are constantly on clocks, or it'll be 222, 333, 444, 555. You know, it'll be some numbers like that. Now, I know those are messages also, but they're different than your dream messages, correct? Yes. So people have different
2: opinions and ideas about what dreams even are, which is interesting to me. The organization that you mentioned at the beginning the International Association for the Study of Dreams. I've been a member of that organization since 2008, and it has dream experts from all over the world who are in many different fields of work. Some of them are brain scientists, some of them are artists and musicians who get inspiration from dreams. Some are therapists, some study dreams and scriptures, and, there is not a consensus among all of these experts about why we dream, what a dream is. And it's one of the things I love about that organization is I get to learn a lot from people who have different perspectives. So when I talk about dreams, I am referring to the experience that we have when we're asleep And by asleep, it means that our attention is not on our physical senses, the physical world, the physical body. And it's an actual experience that we have in what I have learned to call the inner levels of consciousness or subconscious mind. And they give us feedback about our own selves, our waking attitudes, our emotions. And so when you're talking about the numbers on a clock and then viewing that as a a sign or having a meaning, that is what I understand as a function of the conscious mind, actually, to notice that and then to assign meaning to it. When we're interpreting a dream we are also assigning a meaning to it but the dream comes from that inner level experience or the the experience of who we are apart from the physical body and the physical senses
1: do some of the experts in the field uh believe that uh, i'm trying to decide how to make this as a question you know i one of the things And one of the groups that I I do a lot of following and study with, but one individual in particular is Dr. Bruce Lipton. And he refers to the fact that we are all vibrational beings that are in virtual reality suits, which is our physical body. So is it the soul maybe that is interpreting the dreams, you know, that's happening to the physical body or does, or do your experts look at it differently? When you say interpreting the dream, are
2: you meaning experiencing the dream or deciding what the dream means?
1: Well, I mean, um, if the, you know, if I was looking at Dr. Lipton's way of looking at things, then, you know, we are souls and the only way that we can experience life is through being physical. And so if, if we are dreaming then I would think that part of it is that we're dreaming to interpret situations that are maybe happening or have happened to us in the past. And we're sorting through what that means in dream state, because during conscious state, we're so busy living that we don't have time to do it. Am, am I making some sense? Yes.
2: I look at it a little bit differently in that I agree with what you're saying, that we experience life in a physical body and physical experiences. I do think that we can make sense of it when we're awake, particularly by practicing things like undivided attention instead of multitasking, by asking ourselves questions about, I wonder what I need to learn from this situation that keeps repeating in my life. And I think that the dreams give us feedback and or reflect to us what our waking state of awareness is. So sometimes people in their waking state are kind of unconscious about what they're thinking and feeling. So somebody, for example, might uh, be afraid in their waking state of certain situations, but they don't like to think of themselves as being a fearful person. So they actually are not aware that that's what they're experiencing. And then they have a dream of being chased by somebody and they're scared in the dream. So upon awakening, I would interpret a dream if I had a dream like that, that there is something happening in my waking state that I'm afraid of, but I'm running from even facing the fact that I'm afraid. So I I wouldn't say that the dream is interpreting the waking state. I would say the dream is reflecting our attitudes and emotions in the waking state. And then what we do with the dream when we remember it can help us to understand or interpret those waking experiences.
1: Uh Um, For the individual that is listening to the show that says, I never remember any of my dreams, is there a way for them to remember, you know, or start remembering the dreams that they actually are having?
2: Absolutely. And that's a great question, because, as you said earlier, some people think that they don't dream. And the truth is that we do all dream. So. There are a number of reasons why people don't remember dreams. I think the most common is that we don't really pay a lot of attention to dreams in our culture. And if people think the dreams aren't important or, you know, maybe uh, when they were a kid, they had a well-meaning parent or grandparent when they had a nightmare who said, don't worry about it, honey, it's just a dream. It doesn't mean anything. We learn that, dreams don't mean anything. So with our busy lives, why would we pay attention to something that doesn't mean anything? Uh, So that's one reason people don't remember. Another very common reason why people don't remember is they're sleep deprived. So they wake up to an alarm clock and they might be in the middle of a dream, but the alarm jolts them out of sleep. And to remember a dream. Requires first of all wanting to and giving some attention to the fact that this is an actual experience that I'm having, it is real, it's not physical, but it is real, and then spending some time upon awakening to allow that kind of reverie state of being partly asleep, partly awake to lie there in bed and allow ourselves to give some attention to what we were experiencing. I myself keep a dream journal and that's what I counsel people to do is to get some kind of notebook, put it by the bed within reach with a pen or a pencil and within reach. I mean that you don't have to sit up. You don't have to get up to reach for the dream journal. I even know some people who keep it under their pillow because the, More able a person is to even stay in the same body position that they were when they're waking up and write the dream down, that's the easiest way to remember. If we get up, um, you know, go to the bathroom, just start thinking about the day, we're not going to remember the dream.
1: Mm -hmm. Hmm. And
2: what's really interesting, Lucy, is that even people who think that they don't remember dreams by deciding that they want to and having a dream journal there, they find that they do start remembering more. And so what I encourage people to do is when they're first starting this practice, if they wake up and they really don't remember to at least write something in that dream notebook. It could be something like, I'm grateful for my dreams or I didn't remember a dream today, but tomorrow I will. Or it's getting easier and easier to remember my dreams so that that habit, if you want to call it that, of waking up and writing something down, the more that people make that a part of their lives, then the more they will be remembering their dreams.
1: Right, right. Um, I have a guest who is a, um, in fact, I have a couple of guests, they're hypnotherapists. But one in particular uses uh, dreams with her clients uh, frequently because you know, that is what comes to the surface during hypnotherapy a lot of times is something that they've repressed from their past that was in a dreamlike situation. And so it will come to the surface and then they will be able to discuss it while that person is still under hypnosis. That's very interesting. Yeah, it um, it it seems to be pretty effective because if they actually look at what was going on in that repressed dream state, um, you know, in many cases they are able to resolve whatever that conflict has been in their lives, and they can move forward. So that is, you know, the other thing that I was thinking about is uh, in today's world, with the amount of stress that has not just been in 2020 with COVID and politics and everything else, but I would just say lifestyle, you know, that we have been living in a much more stressful environment over the past, maybe five or six years in particular, um, that uh, people are using ways to go to sleep. I'm going to say it that way, you know, whether it is a uh, something for sleep that has, you know valerian root or melatonin in it or gaba in it Um, but i'm also wondering if when people are taking something like that an hour before bedtime and like you said the alarm clock goes off because in many cases they sleep solidly you know quote unquote in that deeper sleep until the alarm clock goes off so they don't get that chance to just gradually awaken because whatever they've taken has kept them much deeper in their sleep. And do you do you see that as an issue for remembering dreams? Some of those supplements
2: do affect and sometimes interfere with the dreaming experience and the dream recall. So I know for example, some people who take um, certain kinds of medications, either prescribed or not, that it, Affects their dreams. Some supplements can actually be helpful for remembering dreams. For example, vitamin B6 and zinc Mm -hmm. helps people sleep more deeply and it helps to remember dreams. Magnesium is a supplement that can help people have a more relaxed sleep and that can also help them remember, remember dreams. So I think that, um, it it kind of depends upon what the supplement is. There are certain sleeping pills that kind of knock people out. And so Mm -hmm. they don't remember dreams when they take those. Right. And there are different herbs that I'm not a doctor. And so I definitely am not in a position to prescribe things. Uh, But there are certain herbs and herbal teas like mugwort, for example, is supposed to enhance dreaming. So I think it's important for people to, if they have a doctor, to talk with their doctor about whatever supplements or medications they're taking. And if they're experimenting on their own, I think it's important to learn about what these different supplements um, do to be able to make wise decisions about what to take or not.
1: Right, right. Um, didn't a lot of the uh, earlier cultures, not certainly the Native American culture, but other cultures put a lot of faith in dreams too. I mean, back in Roman days, I mean, they had people that were uh, visionaries, if you will, that could see, but it came through dream states and they were consulted on a regular basis.
2: Yes, that's very true. And one thing I do want to say is that in our culture, there are people who still do that. In fact, I'm a member of a couple of different groups that intentionally practice group dreaming. And what I mean by that, there's one group, it's called the World Dreams Peace Bridge that came about after September 11th, 2001. There was a a message board where people were sharing dreams And it turned out that there were many people all over the world who had had dreams that had some precognitive indication about what happened in New York. And I don't know if there was any one person that dreamed the whole thing, but putting all of these dreams together, kind of like a patchwork quilt, there's a woman named Jean Campbell who realized, you know, if we had, paid attention to these dreams ahead of time, we might've been able to do something about it. And so she started a group called the World Dreams Peace Bridge. And periodically the people in this group will intentionally dedicate their dreams to dreaming for peace. So if there's um, some natural disaster, like when there was that big tsunami in Japan, People dedicated their dreams to dreaming for some kind of guidance or help. And then they shared their dreams with each other. There have been times when there's been political or social unrest that people dedicate their dreams. In fact, I asked, I moved to St. Louis right at the same time that Michael Brown was killed and there was so much... um, violence and so I asked the people in that group to dedicate their dreams for peace in St. Louis and what's amazing is that when people put their minds and hearts together with an intention that is for a greater good the dreams that people share can be very powerful in offering more than just personal guidance Guidance about what we as humanity need, what we need to do, what we need to understand. I actually, a year ago when the pandemic started, was incubating dreams myself, asking the question, what do I need to learn? I asked questions like, what do we as humanity need to learn? So dreams can be used for that transpersonal kind of knowledge as well as our own individual knowledge
1: Mm -hmm. absolutely um you're familiar with the heart math institute in california yes Mm -hmm. because i know they have done a lot of research on you know just across the board in the last i don't know 30 years or so about how plants talk to each other trees talk to each other um, you know and And so the dream state, when you talk about something like world dream peace bridge, that really does involve that vibrational frequency, you know, so it doesn't take words, audible words, or something that is physical, it can be done in thought form and um, be sending, you know, that information out there into the universe. Yes, absolutely. Hmm. Um. So your book, what is your book actually about? The book Intuitive Dreaming was
2: inspired initially by some very powerful dreams that I had. I was married to a man who had type 1 diabetes. And in the short time that we were together, he had extreme health challenges. He started to lose his eyesight. He completely lost his eyesight. He went on dialysis um, and he died while he was waiting for a kidney transplant at the young age of 42. So during the time that we were together, we, for one thing, our relationship started out as a long distance relationship and he also knew about dreams. So we used to experiment with Meeting each other in our dreams. We called it having dream dates. So it was kind of a, a fun thing that we did. And
1: sometimes so tell, tell me a little bit about that, you know, as you're explaining the rest. But I mean, dream dates, that just sounds like so much fun.
2: Yeah, it was fun. So we would um, choose a particular night that both of us knew that we could get a decent amount of sleep and not be sleep deprived. And we would decide okay, we're going to meet in our dreams tonight. And sometimes we would plan on an actual physical location that both of us knew. And we would say, okay, we're going to intend in our dreams tonight to meet at this place. Sometimes we didn't um, imagine a particular place. We just decided that we would connect with each other. And then we'd if we remembered a dream, wrote it down and share our dreams with each other. So it was not always effective. I mean, it was effective in terms of it being fun, but in terms of actually both of us having a dream that we connected with each other, sometimes that was effective and sometimes it wasn't. Uh What it did though, is that it established the, connection that we were connected in the dream space. And this was before cell phones. So we also had a very strong telepathic connection. And there were a number of times that we weren't in the same physical place that one of us wanted to contact the other one. And we didn't have a phone with us because that was before the days when people had phones 24 seven. So one of us would send a telepathic message to the other one. And we also found that we had that same kind of telepathic connection in the dream state. So I wrote about some of those experiences in one of the chapters of this book, Intuitive Dreaming. For example, there was one very profound and dramatic dream that I had One night when we were in different cities and I had a dream that I was pretty certain was not just symbolic, that John was having a low blood sugar reaction and he couldn't wake up. So if your listeners are not familiar with type 1 diabetes, when somebody injects insulin, it lowers their blood sugar. And if they have not eaten enough, then the blood sugar can drop down um, dangerously low and they can go into a coma and die. So the dream that I had was that he was asleep and having this low blood sugar reaction and he was going to go into a coma. So I bolted awake and I called him on the phone and the phone rang and rang and he didn't answer. So I sent a very strong telepathic message, meaning that I, in my mind, yelled at him to wake up. And then I called again, and this time he did answer the phone. And I could tell from the sound of his voice that he was really groggy and he couldn't even really understand what I was saying. I was certain that he was indeed having this low blood sugar reaction. So fortunately we had a friend who, Um, I had her phone number and she lived in the same city where he was because we were not in the same place. And she was able to get to where he was. I don't even know how she got in the house if he was able to answer the phone or if the door was unlocked. But anyway, she was able to help him and call the paramedics. And they were able to administer what they needed to, to raise his blood sugar. So I don't know this, but I firmly believe that because I had that dream and responded to it, that it saved his life at the time. And so that was just one of a number of very dramatic dream experiences that i had that we shared i also had two very powerful dreams after john died that are called visitation dreams one where i visited him in the dream state another one where he visited visited me so um, the combination of those dreams was the initial inspiration for writing this book and it has a number of uh Chapters that are about what I would call uh, unusual or extraordinary kinds of dreams. Like there's uh, a couple of chapters about dreams that inspire invention, creativity, business ideas, one about famous people, one about everyday people because everyday people can have those dreams. So it, it actually was a very enjoyable book to write because it connected me with many people all over the world who've had some very powerful and profound dream experiences.
1: Mm, It certainly sounds that way. Um, I was remembering my uh, specialty actually as a therapist is um, bereavement work. And one of the um, women that I worked with many years ago now it was so interesting. And I, I don't know that this would be part of a visitation dream per se, unless it was a waking dream, uh, which maybe there are such things, but she was trying to sell her car uh, and uh, she had to find the title. And evidently um, her husband who had died was the person who handled all of those kinds of things. So she you know, really didn't know where it was. And she and her son had searched and searched and searched, could not find the title. And so her son left and um, she walked into what had been their bedroom. And she literally felt his presence in the room. And he told her very clearly to get um, like a step stool, and that the box that the title was in was on a certain shelf. And sure enough the box was there and the title was there and she would have never looked, you know, for it in that location because it it didn't, it was out of character of where he would have put things. So I don't know if, if that was a visitation per se, but um, like I said, it could be a a dream that was an awake kind of a dream versus one that was a sleep kind of a dream. Yes.
2: I I would call that a waking visitation. And, One of the things that I really appreciate about writing this book is that when I tell people some of the dream experiences that I've had or that other people in the book told me that then I wrote about is finding out that it is a much more common experience than people think. So a related story that's in in this book Uh, similar to what you just (laughs) described, is a friend of mine uh, had a great aunt who was, I don't remember how old, in her 80s, I think. And she had a little bit of dementia. So sometimes people didn't really believe what she said. And she lived alone. She lost her glasses. And she had a dream that her brother who was deceased, whose name was Chester, he came to her in the dream and told her that her glasses were in the basement. So she told her nieces about that and they thought she was just being crazy Aunt Lottie because she couldn't walk down stairs to the basement. She had some problems with her knees and with her hips. So they thought there's no way the glasses can be in the basement but she was insistent because Chester told her that's where they were. And finally her niece decided to humor her because Aunt Lottie wouldn't stop talking about it. So the niece went downstairs and the glasses were indeed in the place in the basement that Chester told her about in the dream. And that kind of experience of people talking about something that is in a dream state, a visitation, for example, sometimes they don't wanna talk about it because they don't want people to tell them they're crazy or to tell them, oh yeah, it was just a dream. Oh yeah, it was just wish fulfillment. When they know absolutely that it was an actual experience with that person who died in the dream. And earlier when you were talking about Bruce Lipton and his belief that all of our experiences happen in the physical body, in this kind of situation, I don't think that's true because once someone has died, they no longer have a physical body and yet they can connect with us in the dream state or in the example you gave, we don't even have to be asleep for that to happen. And I think that's one of the important and valuable things about talking about dreams is helping people to
1: validate those experiences that they have. Right. Well, um, Hmm. So I I'm seeing how this is all intertwined in, in a beautiful quilt in a way. Um, You're familiar with chakras. Yes. And so um, there are, you know, chakras within the body. Obviously, there are six of them, but there are also six of them that go from the crown to what they refer to as um, the 12th chakra, which is divinity. And at the 11th chakra, uh, there is uh, a healing. That is what that particular chakra is all about, is, is healing energy. And I am a Reiki master, but um, I don't do Reiki or energy work in the traditional sense. I never have. I, I have a gift, and it's a very profound gift. And so, you know, it, it's, I just do it differently. And um, it uh, is interesting in that about seven years ago now, Um, my husband was in ICU, and he was, um, he had an hour and a half to live, is what the doctors told me, and so um, they had left me alone with him, and I don't know, again, you know, as far as it relates to what you're talking about with visitations, or um, in the dream state, and the physical state, and spiritual state, but what I do know is that I have Uh, I don't know whether they're guides, angels or both, but they talk to me frequently. And what they said was, put your right hand on the top of his head, put your left hand on his heart. And of course, I'm thinking to myself, he has an hour and a half to live. I'm not sure what this is going to do, but I did what, what was requested. And when I do do energy work on people, I get very, very quiet. And so I just got quiet. Now the monitor behind him, the reason that he was going to die in an hour and a half, it showed that he had 78% oxygen. And you have to have 98% oxygen in order to have surgery done. And what he had at that time was pericardial effusion. So he had 500 cc's of fluid crushing his heart and they could not take the fluid off because his oxygen level was too low. So they were stuck. So when I put my right hand on the top of his head and his, my left hand on his heart, and I got quiet, I allowed the energy, that vibrational frequency to flow through me from the 11th chakra into him. It took 30 seconds. I, I promise you, I did nothing, but it took 30 seconds for his oxygen level to go to 98%. Um, the doctors came running down the hall and asked what I was doing. And I was still in the same position. And I said, I'm doing energy work. And they said, well, we can take him to surgery now. They never understood it. They said it was impossible. Um, I would say that under normal circumstances, I would say it was impossible as well, but I saw what happened and he lived another three and a half years. So it's interesting how we are so connected from a vibrational frequency and we have the ability to have information come through dreams or come through guides or spirits. It, I think it really does depend on where we are in our own personal frequencies. Does that make sense to you or, or would you see it differently? In terms of
2: where we are in our own personal frequencies, is that your question? Right,
1: right. Cause I think that some people that might be operating at a different frequency level where they're getting, I don't know, more um, clarity or, or you know, their dreams are more frequent or I, I just see it as um, a little bit different that we all have that ability, but just depending on maybe our health, maybe our emotional state, maybe our understanding of life, you know, that those frequencies, if you will, can change. And then, you know, dreams come in and out or information comes in and out.
2: I agree with you that there are a lot of factors that can enter into it. I know, for example, some people, use prayer as a way to connect with the divine, and that can affect their dreaming experience and their dream state. Uh, There are people who are very creative, whose dreams communicate to them, sometimes poetry, sometimes imagery. There are people who have had miraculous instantaneous healings in the dream state itself. So I don't know that I would describe it in terms of someone's frequency. I do think that it has to do with a person's individuality. I think sometimes it also has to do with their belief system that people can have a a dream experience. For example, the visitation dreams that we're talking about I'm not sure what people do if they don't believe that there is life after death, if they, if that changes their experience of it or perception of it. So I think there are a lot of factors that enter into the kinds of um, more than physical experiences people can have.
1: Right, right. And I think that's why we have so many different ways of looking at life, if you will, you know, because uh, we do have you know, whether it's the medical model, you know, which everybody's very familiar with at this moment, because uh, we're looking at how do we stay healthy? How do we fight, you know, disease in general? So we have, you know, that approach, we have maybe a religious prayer approach, maybe we have a metaphysical approach, maybe we have, you know, uh, cultural understandings, whether it's Native American or Aboriginal, you know, but we have all of these different Ways of approaching a situation, and I I honestly believe that all of them are accurate. You know, depending upon where you want to sit. So you know, whether it's Bruce Lipton or Deepak Chopra or uh, Greg Braden or you know somebody else. I mean, it. Everybody comes from a slightly different perception, but it doesn't mean that it's incorrect. It just means that it's the one that works for them. And so, you know, with dreams or with healings or with going to your physician and, you know, doing the traditional medical model to get well, you know, on whatever level it might be, but I think dreams can help people get well, you know, if they can take the time to learn how to do it and then actually look at what their dreams are saying, which would you agree to that? Yes, absolutely.
2: I think the dreams are an essential part of mental, emotional, and physical health. And I think even if somebody doesn't interpret their dreams, simply becoming aware that they are dreaming and writing those dreams down can help them to be more healthy because they experience more of who they are. So they become more whole through that process right
1: and uh, you know again as a therapist for over 30 years um a lot of what i was seeing you know were highly professional individuals i used to call them the walking wounded because you know they function you know whether they were professional athletes or whether they were you know businessmen or teachers or clergy or whoever they were because i typically worked with um people that were um let's just say you know I don't I don't know how to exactly put it but they found me through avenues that were very professional and so they tended to be very professional themselves and at the same time their lives were not where they wanted them to be and so you know a dream interpretation would have been a lovely uh, adjunct therapy, if you will. If I'd known you at the time, I might have said, okay, I think you need to work with Laurel. <laughs> so, um, but that's just really quite fascinating. Laurel, um, the show is almost um, finished, but I want you to tell people a little bit about how to get hold of you. Uh, if, if I'm sure that there are listeners today that are going, gee, I would really love to understand my dreams a lot better than I do. So, how would they find you?
2: The simplest way to contact me is by email, and my email address is Laurel, my first name, L-A-U-R-E-L, laurel at laurelclark.com. So it's Clark, C-L-A-R-K. I do have a website that is laurelclark.com. It's currently uh, being updated um, but you can also contact me directly through the website and I would love to hear from any of your listeners. I teach classes about dreams. I also do individual dream work. So if somebody has a particular dream or series of dreams, they want to understand, I can meet by zoom. I can meet by phone and I love to help people understand dreams.
1: Well, I think, um, there's probably a number of individuals that would benefit by working with you. So I uh, truly appreciate you being a guest with me today, and uh, hopefully um, listeners will be in touch. Uh, certainly, they can find the shows. Uh, all of them are archived at www.synergyconnectionradio.com, but uh, they're also on iHeartRadio. They're on Apple Podcast. Uh, They're on uh, Google radio and on, um, I'm trying to think of a fourth one. Um, Anyway, there's four of them and I'm drawing an absolute blank at this moment. So uh, please uh, check out the podcast. Your favorite uh, platform is the one you can listen to it on. And uh, please join us again next week at 11 o'clock and go out there and make this your very best life. Thanks so much.